being able to explain your science in lay terms or not super jargony terms is really a key skill set. Because sometimes you can even lose another highly skilled scientist if they're not from your field, if all you speak about is your jargon and the particular area you're in. So I think if you join these committees or go to schools to talk about uh, science to, to high school kids or um, that that really expands, number one, your um, your ability to speak to different kinds of people, but also to speak about your science in a way that's understandable and approachable and relatable, which would come in very handy later in life when you have to do interviews, when you have to try to get funding, um, when you have to um, speak with other stakeholders, for example, because you want to pursue a particular project and you need to have some input from others. So being able to speak about your science well is a huge asset. Hi, I'm Teen Nguyen for Strategy for Scientists at the University of California, San Francisco. In this podcast, I talk to Dr. Yaisa Andrew Swilling, Associate Director of Research at SanBio, a biotech company in Silicon Valley. In our conversation, Yaisa shared the differences in working at a small biotech versus running a research program in academia and what it takes to be a successful industry scientist. She talks about how she got up to speed on business vocabulary and how she thinks strategically about stakeholders. I also asked her to share her experiences doing science internationally and the strengths of being a female scientist and woman of color. To get started, I asked Yaisa to tell us how running a research program in industry differs from academia. We made scientific decisions more or less based on where the science took us. So if we were looking at a particular question and the answer that we got was not what we were expecting, we would often then chase whatever that was. So this, the, the questions that were answered or the science that we did was very question and inquisitiveness driven within certain parameters. Whereas at the company, there's a clear company goal. So whereas I still have a lot of freedom when it comes to trying to figure out like the mechanism of action of ourselves, which is my main task in the company, I do have to kind of stay on track in the research that I do. So that's the biggest difference, I think, that there are certain constraints to the number of different avenues you can potentially follow. Whereas I think in academia, you can more or less follow whatever you want to do. I asked Yaisa for an example of constraint. She said coming from academia, working in defined timeframes can be difficult. You have to be smarter about planning experiments that get you answers. At the company, which is another really major difference between when I was working in academia and now working in a company is that we have smart goals. So your goals have to be um, attainable and time bound. So for example, it was a bit of a struggle for me initially with these SMART goals to say that I would get this done by this time. And I kind of really pushed back against my boss because I was like, that's not how science works. I can't tell you when it's going to work and what's going to happen. And he was like, well, you have a hypothesis and you know what you think it's going to happen. So you need to tell me the time frame you need to get to that time to, to get to that answer. I think that was the most difficult thing for me, to be able to beforehand plan out a whole experiment, think of the different answers, and do that in a time-bound manner. But that's a skill that I've definitely learned quite well since being at the company. You don't have the luxury of repeating things multiple times because you forgot a control or you thought of something else to do, so you really plan out your experiments well and execute within a certain time frame. And then based on those answers, you make the next set of decisions. Another culture difference was the language used, namely the business conversations. Coming to the company, I suddenly started having conversations with the chief medical officer, which was okay, and still okay for me to deal with, but also with regulatory 
with finance, with accounting, and all of these different groups and departments had their own language and their own jargon. So often I would be sitting in meetings with these different teams and they would start speaking and often I would not be able to follow, not because I couldn't grasp the concept, but because I simply didn't speak their language. Gaisa requested to take a business course for scientists and engineers from Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern. It's a seven-day intensive, she said, gave her basic vocabulary in finance, intellectual property, and marketing. She said it helped her to collaborate and speak with people in different functions at the company. And one of the most valuable topics that they covered was stakeholders. One of the things I learned um, was where they were speaking about project management and stakeholders. So stakeholders was never really a term I learned before because um, for the most part, as a postdoc, I was driving my project and my major stakeholder was probably my PI maybe another postdoc I was collaborating with. And then even when I was kind of leading the small group, I was making a lot of the decisions and I had my team members who fed into that. But coming to the company where a decision that I made affected clinical, affected regulatory, affected um, QA, I had a lot more stakeholders involved when a decision was made. So just knowing that there are stakeholders, that your decision doesn't just affect you and your team, but affects the whole company. Being able to bring the, the to identify the stakeholders and bring them into the conversation at the right time was something that I definitely, the concept was brought to me at the Kellogg. And then when I came back, I was able to look at all of these people around the table with new eyes, knowing that even if I just wanted funding for a particular project that I wanted to do, that I should go to regulatory to see if I do this project, Regulatory-wise, is it feasible for us to pursue this as a new indication? Then I would go to maybe clinical, like is this a clinical area that we're interested in? Is it something that we can take to market? So just thinking not just of the science, which is my main focus, but how does the science fit in the whole big picture of everyone else at the table was really good to know. Yaisa now collaborates with academic scientists from the industry side. And so I asked her about meeting deadlines, especially because she's seen that mindset before. What does she consider before getting started and what does she do to stay on track? So I do try to make sure that um, there are sufficient resources because it's, I need to make sure that the PI is not promising something and then there's no conversation with the scientists in the lab because it's very easy for a PI to be like, oh sure, this postdoc can work in it or this postdoc. But I usually also speak with the scientists involved to be sure that they are on board for the project. They know the parameters of the project before it moves forward because the PI does not always know the capacity or sometimes maybe can overestimate the capacity of the people in the lab because they have their own projects going. Yaisa has done research internationally, and I was curious about her perspective going through the job search process and working in the U.S. I asked how she presents herself and her strengths as an international scientist. So I think that is a really great question. So I'm from Trinidad and Tobago originally, which is in the Caribbean. I did my master's and PhD in Germany and then my postdoc and, and kind of the end of my scientific training and beginning of professional scientific life here in the US. So I do think um, I bring a much more open mind to the table that different people are coming from very, very different perspectives when facing a particular question. And I think I got that, especially from living in Germany. I did this uh, course while we were there on um, expectations when you enter a room, depending on the different countries that you're from. And that was really eye-opening because for certain cultures, when you enter that room, you introduce yourself because you are the one entering. So you have to go and you introduce yourself, et cetera. Whereas from other countries, 
it's expected that you're entering that room. Those people should welcome you to that space. So just having that and seeing that people are just coming from different places and usually it's never personal. It's just your perspective coming to the table has helped me to deal like sometimes with very difficult conversations where people kind of dig in and have a very set frame of mind. It's a lot easier for me to say, I understand where you're coming from and why you have that perspective, but this is where I'm coming from instead of kind of being combative or um, also digging in myself. So I think having that international experience really helps me to be very open-minded and be able to collaborate with many different kinds of people. I asked her to give an example of a time when maybe someone wasn't open to her perspective or she faced discrimination as an international scientist and what scientists can do to prepare themselves or have an open mind when entering into collaborations. I think I've been pretty lucky to not, because I'm, I also, I'm also of African descent for people who are listening. Um, so growing up in the Caribbean, I definitely, I was never a minority because we're the majority actually <laughs> in the island, on the island. Um, and then going to Germany where I was definitely very much so a minority and then coming here and then having a minority status that has a very different meaning here in the U.S. being perceived as African-American. So that was sometimes very interesting to navigate because I remember once showing up to, as the keynote speaker and the person walked past me. And then I'm like, oh, no, hi, <laughs> it's actually me. And they said, oh, you're not what I was expecting. I'm like, well, I'm thinking that's a compliment. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think she, you know, she blushed and so on. For me, having moved from the Caribbean to Germany to the US, um, that experience has forced me to sometimes step out of my comfort zone to um, speak to people that maybe I would be nervous about or speak up in like seminars or so. So it was something that I definitely struggled with. Um, and as a result of my experience of living in different places and with different cultures, I've learned to be a lot more assertive and to even in uncomfortable situations to find my, my voice and speak to people. And I think one of the things that I would really encourage postdocs to do here is to do something outside of your science. Your science is very insular. It's usually you with your project at your bench working on it. Even the highs and the lows, like when you publish your paper, you celebrate almost by yourself, maybe with your PI for maybe two days, and then you're back at bench by yourself doing your work. So to find time, no matter how challenging your project is, to be on the postdoctoral committee, be on the a diversity committee, be on a mentoring committee, or where you go to high schools to speak to people, but definitely to do something outside of just the bench to really expose yourself to different opinions on things. Also expose yourself to other non-scientists who are working in the scientific environment and how they think about questions. And also really to practice your public speaking. Because again, often it's just you at your bench and you don't have to talk about your science a lot, apart from other highly technical scientists. So Yaisa says that it can be really nice to have a vision and a plan, but you also need to bring people along and build relationships. I recently heard it's not necessarily about getting in the room, but about being comfortable in the room. So I asked Yaisa when she's feeling nervous about speaking up, if there's something that she tells herself or any strategy she uses to communicate her plan. I think I tell myself, your question is not a stupid question. I tell myself that and then I force myself to ask it because I've had situations even as a, as a postdoc, where I think I was starting to gain quite a bit of confidence, where I would sit in the auditorium and I would have a question, but I would be afraid to ask it. And then at least maybe 10, 15 seconds later, someone else's hand would go up and they would ask the exact question I was thinking of. And I'm like, oh, 
I should have asked that question. So I remind myself of those situations and I tell myself, your question is not a stupid question. Just ask it because if you don't know, probably someone else in the room doesn't know and you should just ask your question. So I think that's what I do. I kind of psych myself up, try to calm my voice so it's not shaky and then I just go for it. My last question to Yaisa was about a time she had to make a strategic decision about a direction to take a project and when it worked out really well for her. She shared about a time she had to allocate resources and think about doing something in-house versus outsourcing it. Traditionally, a lot of the scientific work at the company was outsourced. And one of the things that I wanted to do was to build a very strong internal team where we had a lot more control over the experiments we were doing. So we still outsource quite a bit of our um, experimentation to different academic um, and CRO institutions. But I've also built a really strong scientific team in-house. And the company has also invested heavily in um, like microscopes and software so that we can do a lot of the analysis ourselves in-house. Whereas we still outsource some of the behavior experiments, for example, because it's large numbers of animals and we have a very small on-site vivarium, a lot of the pathological analysis to really try to figure out the mechanism of, um, of action is done in-house by my team of scientists here, where we sit at the microscope and we look at very high resolution at, this, uh, um, at the, the structure of what's going on in the brain and different processes. So that was something that I had to kind of decide strategically, do I continue just outsourcing and working with external scientists or do I build a strong team in-house? And I have a very strong team of amazing science uh, scientists, all women, and we really drive the, um, the mechanism of action of what our cells are doing in-house here. Since recording this podcast, Yaisa is now Director of Research at NX and Biosciences. I enjoyed talking with Yaisa about her experiences in academia and industry and how she thinks strategically about stakeholders and planning smarter goals to stick to deadlines. I loved her advice about being curious and bold, to expose yourself to different environments and stakeholders and practice communicating your science with everyone, and to be confident. I hope you enjoyed listening. Thank you for listening to Strategy for Scientists. Interested in learning more? Check out the online lectures co-produced by iBiology and the UCSF Office of Career and Professional Development. We'd like to thank the Burroughs Welcome Fund and the NIH National Institute of General Medical Sciences, or NIGMS, for grant funding. Thanks also to PRX Podcast Garage in Boston for the studio space and helping us to get started with this production. Tune in for more stories about scientists using strategy.